There we go. Um, let's see. We are in the book of Revelation, and we're going to review chapter 12, uh, and then we're going to pick it up at right around verse 13. Where we are in Revelation is roughly at the halfway point of a seven-year period called the Great Tribulation. So we've come through a lot. We won't review all of that right now. But chapter 12 is sort of a parenthesis where a lot of stuff has been being described that's going on on earth. There are plagues that God is bringing on earth to not only punish, but to wake people up and draw them to salvation. But at the same time, there are also um, persecutions going on against Jews and Christians on planet earth. What chapter 12 is, is a zoom out and a look at all of history in terms of the spiritual stuff that's going on. So I know that you're awake. Those of you that are here, say amen. Amen. Well, that's a good one. And those of you on Zoom, so I know you're awake, hold up that amen sign, I see it, or just wave. Great. All right. So chapter 12, I'm just going to show you there's a few characters we need to look at very quickly. There's the woman, the male child, a dragon, and Michael. Michael's the archangel, that's easy. The dragon is defined for us in this chapter as the devil, Satan. So that's easy, which leaves the woman and the male child. We talked last week about the fact that this woman described with being clothed with the sun, with a, the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. That's right out of the book of Genesis and refers to Israel. So the woman is Israel. Israel is giving birth to a male child who's going to rule the world with a rod of iron. That male child is Jesus Christ, we said last week. Some people think the woman is the church, the Christian church. But if you think about it, it makes no sense that the woman, the church, is going to give birth to Jesus. No, it would be the other way around. So the woman is Israel. She is in this chapter. She gives birth to a son, verse 5. That's Christ. Um, and... Verse 6, the woman flees into the desert because she's, for 1260 days, which is three and a half years, she's going to be persecuted but protected by God, we saw. And then in the heavenly realms, look at verse 7, there's a war in heaven. Michael, that's an archangel. There's only two that are mentioned by name. There are others, but two, Michael and Gabriel. They're fighting against the dragon in heaven. Uh, the dragon is the devil, and his angels, the dragon's angels, are demons, fallen angels, we said last week. Just trying to review here. So uh, he, that's the devil's not strong enough, verse 8, they lose their place in heaven. They're sort of evicted, kicked out. The great dragon, that's the devil, was hurled down, verse 9. That's where he's defined, who leads the whole world astray. He's hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So then there's praise in heaven because there's salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. That's verse 10. Uh, for the accuser of the brothers, that's one of the titles for Satan. He loves to accuse Christians. He had access, at least partially, to heaven at the end, and still does now, by the way. He accuses you and I. And Jesus says, he's mine, she's mine. I died for her sins, his sins, they're forgiven. But eventually, end times, halfway through the tribulation or so, some say at the beginning, he's cast out of heaven, the devil is, and the, the devil's with him, the demons. That's great news for heaven. That's why you see praise here. 
but it's extremely bad news for those on earth. Look at verse 12. Rejoice, you heavens, and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. So this is in the tribulation period, seven years in the future. Could be real soon, could be a long time, who knows. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So that's where we are. Um, so we're going to finish this chapter, and then chapter 13 is all about one person, really. I mean, there's two, but it's mainly the Antichrist. You've heard, how many have heard of the Antichrist? Yeah. Well, we're going to really take that subject apart. Um, but anyway, let's pick up chapter 12, right around verse... Uh, yeah, he knows that his time is short. Verse 12. He knows his time is short. He may know exactly that he's got three and a half years. The, the devil can certainly know scripture um, and misquote it sometimes, but he's going to pull out all the stops to try to ruin Israel, ruin Christians, and persecute them via this world leader named the Antichrist, who we'll talk about shortly. Um, look at verse 13. When the dragon, who is that again? The devil. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman, who's that? Israel, who had given birth to the male child, who's that? Jesus. He's still got a thing for Israel. He may know scripture enough to know that in the end times, God saves 144,000 Jews and converts them to Christians who evangelize other Jews in a big way, and even the whole world. Satan would love to stop that. So it says in verse 13, uh, he pursued the woman who had been who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the wings, verse 14, the two wings of a great eagle, so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Okay, I, I know most of you know this, but this occurred to me because somebody asked me about it. A lot of this is symbolism. Is the devil actually an actual dragon? No. But the characteristics of being a fierce, huge beast that breathes fire fit him. A lot of symbolism. You're going to see in chapter 13, the Antichrist. And you're going to go, oh, I've always wanted to know, what does he look like? Well, he's got seven heads, ten horns. And you're going to go, wait, what? What kind of a beast is that? It's all symbolic. I want you to know these, this is all symbolism. I know you know already. So the woman, Israel, is given two wings of a great eagle so she can fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she'd be taken care of. You see that? That's God taking care of Israel. God knows the devil is really going to be out against Israel. So... The question is, what exactly is going on here? Um, eagle's wings. You wouldn't believe how many opinions there are about the eagle's wings. The national symbol of the United States, the eagle. There it is, America in prophecy. Probably not. The word can also mean a griffin vulture, which is the largest bird in that part of the world. A griffin vulture is, if you can imagine a bird, four feet tall, standing eight to 10 foot wingspan. Okay. Not necessarily an eagle. It can also be a griffin vulture where again, this is a key thing. If you hear nothing else tonight, except this next sentence, I'll be a happy guy. Hopefully you'll hear more than that. Here's the sentence. 
the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. What do you mean? I mean, somewhere in the Bible, <clears throat> everything is explained. Okay, eagle's wings with deliverance. This goes back to, back to Exodus 19, where the Jews are being protected by uh, God, God prepares a place and protects them. Um, let's see. Also, Isaiah 40, mounting up with eagles, with wings as eagles when they're returning from the Babylonian captivity. So there's a pattern in the Bible of God protecting Israel and calling it eagles' wings to protect them. So it's a way of saying almost in code that you, the more you read the Bible, the more it all makes sense to you, that he, God, is going to protect his people, and they're going to go to a place prepared for them. We said last week, most scholars, and I won't say it too strongly, but think that it's Petra, which is in Jordan, which is a rock city. We said last week, if you saw the movie, uh, the Indiana Jones movie, the third one, um, I, I just lost the name of it, but anyway, the third one, uh, no, not Temple of Doom. Anyway, there, Petra is shown in that one. What's it called? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Jeff, you get an A for knowing that. Awesome. They show Petra, which is a like carved-in city built right into a cliff uh, and that area around it. Um, it is thought that Christians have hidden food and Bibles written in Hebrew for the Jews at that time. Um, so he's preparing a place for them to go. If you remember Matthew 24, Jesus talks about the end times and he says, when you see Antichrist, the abomination that causes desolation, I'll explain that in chapter 13. He basically says, run as fast as you can. Don't wait. Don't go back to your house to pack a bag, uh, or your photos. Get out of town because it's going to be major persecution. These are the Jews that believe that and leave when they hear it. Some people say these eagle's wings are military transport planes. I'm just giving you all the theories here. Um, U.S. has the sixth fleet in the Mediterranean. I doubt it. Um, but some say, if you've ever read Ezekiel 38 and 39, it is a big, long section of scripture about a, an attack of a bunch of nations coming together um, to attack Israel. And they are in the mountains of Israel about to attack and try to kill the Jews. And God himself intervenes, knocks the weapons from their hand, and basically beats them. If you look in history, even rabbis will tell you it hasn't happened yet. It could be that that's what precipitates them having to split to Petra or somewhere. The other nations around Israel are all such enemies, Muslim countries that hate the Jews. The best one would be Petra, sort of a, a place for them to flee that God prepared ahead of time. It says that he'll provide for them uh, in the way the Greek is written. Some scholars even think that it might be like Exodus, manna falling from heaven again, food, water, protection. Um, notice the time marker there in verse 14. Uh, she can fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. She'll be taken care of for, watch this, a time, that's one, times, that's two more making what? Three, 
and half a time, three and a half years, second half of the seven-year tribulation. If you know anything about the tribulation, you know that it's seven years, the time of Jacob's trouble. It's the worst time, Jesus calls it the great tribulation, the worst time in human history. But the first half is not even a third as bad as the last half. Much, much worse because of chapter 13 and the Antichrist coming to power. We'll get to that. Um, let's see, where were we? Um, so that's what the times, a time, times, and half a time. God goes out of his way to make us understand this three and a half year thing. A time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. Sometimes it says three and a half years. Sometimes it says 42 uh, months, which is three and a half years. Sometimes it says 1260 days. 30 day months makes, again, three and a half years. So let's keep rolling. Verse 15. Again, symbolism. Then from his mouth, that's the serpent. That's the last noun before that. See it? The serpent's reach. Out of the, somehow the devil can't uh, harm the, one, the Jews that go there. He can harm the ones that don't obey and don't go there. He can harm Christians. We're going to see big time in chapter 13. Verse 15. Then from his mouth, the serpent, that's the devil, the dragon spewed out spewed water like a river to overtake the the woman and sweep her away with the torrent okay again i confess to you there's all kinds of opinions there's people that think this is literally water okay the next verse says that god intervenes verse 16 the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth okay because it says it's out of the dragon's mouth there are scholars that think that it's propaganda it's words coming from the antichrist anti-semitism which means hatred of the jews racism specifically against the jews i don't know if you saw it last week uc berkeley right that conservative college uc berkeley um passed a thing they agreed certain areas are non-jews areas no jews can go there they also by the way have no white whites can go to certain areas at uc berkeley so what'd you say you would think there'd be court challenges to that but they they did it you can look it up uc berkeley non-jewish areas anyway anti-semitism's been around forever uh, not a good thing at all. Okay, let me go to my notes here. So um, we already talked about that. So uh, let's see. In Jeremiah 46 and 47, there's a story of a flood. And what is meant there, it's explained, is soldiers. It's a flood of an army coming in. Okay, so is it literal water? I don't know. Um, is it just persecution? Is it verbal propaganda? Is it soldiers? I kind of think it's war. It's soldiers, but hard to say. Um, in any case, um, in Psalm 124, there's a flood, which is uh, persecution and war going on. And then there's also mention of an escape like a bird, escaping like a bird, being able to fly away from it. So God intervenes in, in verse 16. Do you see it there? The earth helped the woman 
by opening its mouth. You say, where is the mouth of the earth? It would be kind of lower on the globe, maybe Australia. No, there's no real mouth. Somehow, maybe there's an earthquake and the earth opens up and swallows either the literal water, swallows the whole army of soldiers that are coming, as in Ezekiel, what we said, 38 and 39. Um, hard to say. Um, Isaiah 59, 8 says, when enemies come in like a flood, enemies meaning people, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. The main thing, though, I'm sure about is what this is, is major persecution after Israel has gone to their place of hiding that God prepared for them and the devil counteracting that with, I'm going to attack them in some way and God intervening, swallowing up the attack, whether it's real water, an army, whatever it might be. Um, the point is that God is going to protect Israel uh, during this time the ones that believe uh, in the Lord Jesus. Okay, um, yeah, there's a lot of parallels with Exodus. Remember the Exodus? The Jews have been slaves in Egypt. They are allowed to leave. God, the place that he's prepared for them is the promised land where they're gonna go, remember? They take the long way, they wander in the desert a very long time. But they are also there protected from water. Do you remember the same water that they're protected from with the Red Sea parting? They go through that same water is the water that kills the enemies, right? Swallows them up. I thought I'd throw that in at no extra charge. Um, uh, let's see. The ground in the Old Testament swallowed Korah, uh, Dathan, and Abiram in the Old Testament. Okay, let's go back to the text. Are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, just checking. You guys on Zoom? Still good? Okay, great. Uh, the earth helped the woman, verse 16, swallows the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Verse 17, then the dragon was enraged at the woman. Dragon has always hated Israel because he knows from Israel we got, think about it, the whole Bible, pretty much. The whole Old Testament is written, right? to the Jews, by Jews. The New Testament is all Jewish authors except for, anybody know? Luke, who writes Luke and Acts. Otherwise, it's all Jewish people. Um, we got the scriptures. We got the law of God from the Jews, which came from God, of course. But um, we got all the prophets, which were all uh, Jewish as well. Okay, so for that reason, the devil absolutely hates Israel. So he's enraged at the woman, verse 17, and went off. That doesn't mean went off like in an angry way, but he went off to wage war against the rest of her. The woman is her, the rest of her offspring. Could you elaborate on that, John? Those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus Christ. These are people that do two things. Did you see that? Who are these people? The rest of Israel's offspring is that Jews, just regular run-of-the-mill Jewish folks. I don't think so. Because he qualifies it with, if, it, if they didn't have those last two qualifiers, I could say, yes, it could be the Jews. The qualifiers are those who keep God's commands. So these are not apostate Jews. I have a friend who lives in Ecuador. He's Jewish by 
uh, ancestry and what have you, but he does not believe, he's an atheist pretty much, thinks there's some power out there, but doesn't know the Bible. He's only a Jew in name, if you will, or in nationality. So it's not them because the, those, these are Jewish offspring who keep God's commands. So far, it sounds like, okay, faithful Jewish people might be, but listen, and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Did you hear that? So these aren't ordinary Jews. These are Messianic Jews, if that's all they are as Jews. Most scholars think it is Jewish people who've come to believe in the Lord Jesus as the Messiah, but also, and this might be a stretch, but I don't think so. It's also you, me. You know, somebody said no. Um, what do you mean by that? Most of the commentaries said he's talking about people who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. They hold on to it. Believers in the Lord Jesus. I can take you to Galatians 3, to Romans. There's all kinds of places where we are the part of the Israel in the sense that we came to faith in the Jewish Savior. Uh, we're grafted into that same tree, one group of people. So um, what's going on here is the dragon can't get to Israel and it makes him even matter. He's going to wage war against the rest of our offspring. When we get to chapter 13, I'll show you why I think that's Messianic Jews for the reasons I told you, but I also think it's Christians because you'll see them being persecuted by the very same devil through the Antichrist. So what's the point? Uh, verse 17, believers are those who keep God's commands. A lot of people think that Christianity is a philosophy, and you just have to believe it up here. It doesn't really matter how you live. If you just, I believe, right? On the other hand, Christianity, to keep God's commands means more than just, it's not just here. It is coming out in the way the people live, that they obey, they keep God's commands. Does that mean perfectly they're sinless? No. But as a general rule of life, they're not living in perpetual sin. They're keeping God's commands. They're obedient. Part of Christianity is a philosophy, is something you learn and you believe, but it works itself out in what we do and think and say. Keeps God's commands. That's what's going on there. Second thing, they hold fast their testimony about Jesus. You know that you have a testimony, if you're a believer, about Jesus, right? Not only is it personal, what he's done in my life, how he's changed me. I've, I have a peace I never had before. Uh, I know that I'm forgiven from sin, but also a testimony about who and what Jesus is, which means these people know the New Testament, right? You can't have a testimony about Jesus if I say I'd like you to testify about Abraham Lincoln and you're from Yugoslavia and you've never heard of Abraham Lincoln, good luck on that, right? But these people, have, they hold fast to their testimony. Why hold fast? Because there's, you're going to see in chapter 13, there's unbelievable temptation to shut up about Jesus or get your head cut off or get thrown in prison. I'll show you that in chapter 13. Instead of wimping out and being quiet, these people are holding on to their testimony. They are testifying to others the truth about Jesus Christ, about their faith, knowing that it's dangerous to do so. 
in a very mild way in America, it's dangerous to do so because you might encounter people that might ridicule you for believing of, of, in a carpenter from 2000 years ago from Bethlehem, right? And they might ridicule you at work or at school or your friends or your family. That's one thing. This is not just ridicule. This is outright persecution, maybe even imprisonment and death. I'll show you that as well. They keep God's commands. They hold on to their testimony about Jesus Christ. The so what of all this is, that's what you and I are supposed to do. Not only hold on to our testimony, but give it away. Tell people boldly, kindly, the truth about Jesus Christ. Um, let's see. There's a verse in 1 Peter, I think it's 3.15. Let's take a chance. I might be right. Uh, go there now with me, if you will. Keep your finger in Revelation. Go to 1 Peter. It's like four, five, six books back from from Revelation where we were. Um, yeah, it is. I lucked out. 1 Peter 3, 15. 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and with respect keeping a clear conscience, and it goes on from there. We're not supposed to beat people over the head with the gospel. We do it with gentleness and with respect, but we don't wimp out. We don't water down the gospel. And, well, a lot of religions are true, and we believe Christianity is true. And we believe Jesus is the only way, right? Narrow. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal salvation, God says, Christ says. Um, so in any case, um, Chapter 12, as we said, just to close the chapter, anticipates Satan's doom eventually. He's already been thrown out of heaven at this time in human history. Um, he is going to have a kingdom for three and a half years, but God's limiting him greatly. Um, but we don't see Satan's actual incarceration and being thrown into the lake of fire till we get to chapter 20. Between now and then, it gets a little messy. But in the end, the truth is his days are numbered. God wins, Christians win. That's the short version of the book of Revelation. As believers, we can be persecuted by Satan. We can be oppressed by people that are his, but we can never be demon-possessed because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The way to combat the devil is not to yell at him. It's to put on the, whole, the full armor of God, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. I'll let you read that when you're home. Okay, we're going to go to chapter 13, little background, and then we'll dive in. This is a continuation of the war between good and evil that we saw in chapter 12. Michael's fighting with Satan. God, there's a battle going on for the souls of mankind. This is Satan's playing all the cards he's got, pulling out all the stops, whatever, you know, swinging for the fences, whatever metaphor you want to use. He knows his time is short. Um, let's see. Yeah, he hates Jews and Christians. We talked about that. So it, the scripture calls Satan like a roaring, he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Um, remember where Jesus talks about the gospel seed being cast out? That's what we're doing when we're witnessing to people, when we're giving our testimony, so to speak. Jesus gives the analogy that Satan tries to snatch the word of God away before it can take seed from people. So um, let's see. This Antichrist figure, way back in chapter 6, comes on the scene as a peacemaker. 
People are going to think who are not believers, they're going to think he's the greatest guy in the world. He's going to solve all the world problems, bring peace, prosperity. What a great guy. He will be, for the first time in the history of the planet, a one-man empire. He will rule, this says, and it says it so many ways, you'll see in this chapter, the whole world. Um, he is, as Jesus was, a man with God, you know, he's God, fully God, fully man. This is, the Antichrist is, a man who is indwelt by or at least controlled by and supported by the devil himself. You say, well, I've known some politicians like that, not like this. This is to the extreme, you'll see. Like I said, Satan's pulling out all the stops. Um, let's see. Do we want to go there? No, not yet. Uh, he does begin as a peacemaker. Um, Daniel tells us, and we may look at that tonight, that this guy makes a covenant with the Jews for seven years and breaks the deal. Guess at what point? Halfway, three and a half years in. The covenant is, according to Daniel, you Jews can be in your land again. They already are. But you can rebuild your temple, have your sacrifices again. You can do the Judaism thing. Rebuild your temple. And they do, and they start. Then he breaks the deal, makes them stop the sacrifices. This is here and in Daniel 9. Uh, and says, no more worship of that other God. Worship me. We'll dive in, and you'll see that in this chapter. Um, yeah, um, one quick note about verse 1. Uh, NIV has, and he, or the dragon, stood on the shore of the sea. Do you see that in your different translations? Uh, New King James and King James have, I stood, and the really, I kept reading, it's not correct. In the Greek, it refers to Satan standing on, verse 1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. The beast is Antichrist. I want you to notice he's not Satan, not exactly the same. It's a man. In a way, it's an empire as well, but it is a man. I'll show you why as we go. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. Now, if you're trying to draw a picture in your mind, it's hard to do, isn't it? Think about it. Look, do the math. So it's a beast, first of all. It is a man, we'll see later, but God considers him like a wild, untamed, very dangerous creature. Why? Because he's a man indwelt by Satan himself. Next thing, beast coming out of the sea. That's interesting. Now, people love the ocean. They love the, I, I happen to love the ocean a lot. Um, I'm still bummed out that in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, where heaven is described, it says there's no more sea. I'm going to have a long talk with God about that and see if we can get an ocean. Anyway, um, the Jews, now listen, if you like going to the beach, if you like swimming in a pool or in the ocean, it means you know how to swim. The Jews pretty much did not know how to swim. There were stories of boats sinking, of people drowning. The Jews saw the sea as a very untamed, 
very dangerous thing, stay away kind of thing. First thing you need to know. Frightening place, a place of evil and chaos because there were storms on the sea and what have you, shipwrecked and what have you. Um, Isaiah 57, listen, like I said, what's the best commentary on the Bible? The Bible. Isaiah 57. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. The sea is a picture of the troubled, unsaved earth that's in chaos. Out of that rises this beast to solve all the problems. The beast is one of the names of, and I'm going to list them for you shortly, one of the names of the Antichrist. When you read beast here, it's Antichrist. With me so far? Okay. Um, let's see. We already talked about that. Um, keep your finger here and go to Revelation 17. I want to show you something else. Again, the Bible's best commentary is the best commentary. Revelation 17, a few pages over. Look at verse 15. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the harlot or prostitute sits. That's 17. Don't get me started on that. But anyway, the waters, the sea, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. Look at the next verse. The beast and the ten horns you saw We'll hate the prostitute. Okay, we'll leave that for now. All right, go back to 13. So whoever this guy is, he's coming up out of the troubled sea of humanity that is unsaved. They are unsettled because of all the plagues going on. There's great uncertainty. He comes to calm them down. He's their super leader, the Antichrist. Um, we already talked about that. And he's distinct from Satan, but he's controlled by Satan. Um, Let's see, in Daniel 7, 24, and we're going to go to Daniel 7 in a, uh, in a second. We're going to look at every passage of the Bible, believe it or not, that talks about the Antichrist, which gives you pieces of snapshots of him to get a better idea of who and what he is and what he's like. We're good on time. Just wanted to check that. Um, in that passage, uh, let's see, where was I? D in Daniel 7, um, yeah, the ten horns are ten rulers. Horns and an animal picture power. So these are ten rulers, or think of it as ten nations. This is where people get the idea that the Antichrist heads up a um, conglomeration of ten nations or kingdoms that come together, and they're going to form a coalition. Not under Antichrist, he comes in later and takes over. Um, you already talked about that. Uh, the Antichrist has authority over 10 rulers. That's Revelation 17 says it. Okay. Uh, so there are 10 nations. Um, there's all kinds of numbers here. 10 is a complete number of government. Seven is the complete number of God. Uh, let's see. 10 horns, seven heads. That's interesting. They don't divide out right, right? You would hope there would be an even number. Ten horns, but only seven heads. In Daniel, it would take a while to go through all this, but we're going to hit some of the scriptures. What happens is the Antichrist comes in and sort of eliminates a few of the leaders, so there ends up being just seven. So this beast has ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns, it's signifying royalty. Okay, 
They're, these are the leaders of their nations. But here comes the first scary thing on, in the end of verse 1. And on each head, a blasphemous name. What's blasphemy? Blasphemy is to say anything about God that is untrue or to call anything else God since that's untrue, except the real God. So to worship um, any other idol, any other thing, even money, fame, power, sex, education, whatever you worship, that's blasphemy. Any, to worship anything except the true God and his son, Jesus Christ. So on their heads are blasphemous names. We're not told what they are. The point is these are not Christian or Jewish leaders. These are blasphemous leaders. They don't want anything to do with God. Remember the Jews said about Jesus, we will not have this man rule over us. It's funny that people don't want, this is going to sound like bad English, but it's not. Mankind, unsaved mankind does not want no religion. They just want Burger King religion. You know what they're slaying, saying is, have it your way. I want my religion. I don't want God to rule over me. I want to sort of create my own God, or I want to be my own God myself, or I'm going to like this Antichrist guy for reasons we'll get into. Okay. Uh, we talked about that. So he's possessed by Satan. Um, the dragon in, oh, go to Revelation 11, just for a quick second. Go to Revelation 11, verse three. I just want to give you all this background before we really dive in. Revelation 3. Uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 11. What did I say? Uh, not Revelation 3. <laughs> uh, 11. Oh, that's not the right verse. Sorry about that. Is it 12? Hmm. Yes. Look at Revelation 12. That's a misprint in the notes. Revelation 12, 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon. We already said the red dragon is definitely who? Satan. Tell us about him, verse 3. Notice he has seven heads, ten horns, but only seven crowns. In any case, this guy's controlled by Satan. That's the point of all this. Um, now, are we going to... By the way, the word Antichrist, believe it or not, only appears five times in the whole Bible, uh, and only in four verses. And they're all 1 John and 2 John. Uh, Antichrist itself, uh, there's the spirit of Antichrist. Look at, let's go left from Revelation, go to 1 John. So about three books to the left, but only a few pages once you get to the beginning of Revelation. Go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John, so from Revelation to the left, about three or four short books. Mm -hmm. And look at verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, that's the guy we're going to read about in chapter 13, even now, many Antichrists, plural, have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. Well, what you say there's a lot of Antichrists? Listen, anybody that's against Christianity is, in a sense, an Antichrist. Not the big one, the leader of the world, but anything or any literature you read that's against Christianity, that's Antichrist spirit, if you will. In the end times, he really becomes at the forefront, comes to the forefront. While we're in 1 John 2, are you still there? Actually, the teacher turned back. Okay, 
Um, now go to verse 22 of that same chapter. First John 2, 22. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies <clears throat> that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Antichrist's MO is anything goes religion-wise except Jesus and God from the Bible. Antichrist. Speaking of the, well, let's finish these verses and then we'll move on. Now, 1 John 4, 3, go there with me, if you will, real, real quickly. Um, well, pick it up in verse 2. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge, acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of who? Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Um, let's see, next one. Second John. So next book over is Second John. It's only one chapter. Look at the seventh verse. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. Uh, oh, no, that's not the right verse, is it? No, that's Third John. Sorry. Many deceivers, and this is Second John, verse 7. Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the anti-Christ. Go back to Revelation. Let's talk about the name. anti um, anti can mean two things in English. It can mean against. Is that true of Antichrist? Absolutely. He's anti-Christ, right? But anti in the, the actual Antichrist is really more instead of, the opposite of and instead of. I'm going to show you in chapter 13 that he has never had an original thought in his head. Satan, the Antichrist. All they do is imitate God and Christ. I'll even show you in this chapter, there's a whole nother trinity, an evil trinity. Let's keep uh, reading, shall we? Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, good. On Zoom, you guys awake? I see you, Joe, in Mariposa. Okay. Um, as I said, he's going to look wonderful. Sometimes you think of the the... Satan, and you think, dragon, he's just, oh, he's so evil, and he is. But don't forget 1 Corinthians, which says that Satan appears as an angel of light. If Satan could talk to you, he wouldn't scream at you or talk to you in a gruff voice. He would talk to you with such peace and, and kindness and good things. But it's all a lie, because it's not from God. It leaves God out. Uh, by the way, that was 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15. Uh, he comes as an angel of light. Um, Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse, Jesus talking about the end times. In that, he says, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, um, signs in the sun, moon, and stars, famine. But do you know there's one thing he repeats more than any other thing? And do you know what it is? False Christs. It's the thing he repeats the most in that chapter. The ultimate false Christ is this guy, Antichrist. Um, other names for the Antichrist, the little horn. I think he's not going to be the leader of America or Russia or somewhere big. Most commentators think that the little horn means he's going to be the leader of a 
very insignificant place who seems like not that big of a deal who's going to take over he looks so benign so harmless um the little horn that was uh daniel 7 8 the king of fierce countenance next chapter daniel 8 23 the prince that shall come daniel 9 the one who comes in his own name jesus says you don't receive me because i come in my own name another will come in the future and him you will accept some of the Jews will accept this guy as the leader of the world and as the Messiah. The son of perdition, son of destruction, the man of sin, the lawless one, all names for Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians. We're going to look at that in verse 2. Um, the foolish shepherd, Zechariah 11, the seed of the serpent. Interesting. Um, okay, let's see. Is it time to take our break? It is. We're just starting to dive in. Let's take our two-minute break. I'm going to turn my screen off for two minutes. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello and introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Those of you on Zoom, you can't do that, but just stand by. Two minutes. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Those of you that are here, find your seats. Somebody brought treats again, and we're all pigging out. Okay. I want to do a detour right now. Keep your finger in Revelation, but I want you to go to Daniel 7 with me. We're going to look at the verses that explain the Antichrist. I know. Huh? That's all right. Oh, look at that. Napkins and everything. All right. Daniel 7. Please turn to Daniel 7 with me. I want to look at a bunch of verses that will piece together a picture of who this guy is and what he's like. Antichrist. Okay, go to Daniel 7. We'll start in verse 2. Daniel said, verse 2, Daniel 7, verse 2. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great, what? Sea. Sounds familiar. Four great beasts, each different from each other, came up out of the sea. The background here is he's going to name four empires successively that... Um, take over the world at that time. They're all evil, but they're all going to be a, a, a composite together of what Antichrist's kingdom will be, be like. Um, let's see. Uh, verse 3. Yeah, we already did that. Um, verse 4. The first was like a lion, had the wings of an eagle. Wings are torn off. Let's keep reading. Second beast, verse 5, looked like a bear. This will all come clear as we get back to Revelation. Um, after that, verse 6, another beast looked like a leopard. You'll remember this when we get back to Revelation. And then fourth beast in verse 7, terrifying uh, and frightening and very powerful, had iron teeth. That's the sort of the composite one, if you will. Um, look at verse 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there came before, for me another horn, a little horn, this is the Antichrist, which came up among them, and three of the first horns, remember there was ten, ten minus three is seven, and three of them were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, see it's a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. You're going to see that Antichrist is a master speaker, but he's also got a big mouth and, and uh, has a big ego. 
Uh, let's see. Now we're skipping from there. Daniel. Okay, go to verse 19 of chapter 7 of Daniel. Go to verse 19. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. And it goes on to describe it. I wanted to know, verse 20, about the ten horns. What do you know? And about the other horn that came up. That's the Antichrist. Before which three of them fell. It looked more imposing, had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Verse 21. I'm doing this as a precursor so that when we read Revelation, you're going to go, oh yeah, that's what it says. Verse 21, as I watched, this horn, that's the Antichrist, was waging war against the saints. Saints is hagios, it means holy ones. It can be believing Jews, it can be Christians. In the New Testament, saints is Christians pretty much every time. And not only making war with the saints, defeating them. Do you see that in verse 21? Until the ancient of days, that's God, came and pronounced judgment. Um, let's see. Verse 23, he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth, different from all the others. It'll devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. That's the Antichrist. He will speak against who? Verse 25, the Most High, and oppress his saints and try to change, change the set times and laws. That's interesting. Could be um, a changing of the calendar, could be taking away holidays and that sort of thing, um, and the laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times, and half a time. Where have you heard that before? Three and a half years. Uh, and then he'll be completely destroyed forever. Okay, let's keep reading. Uh, uh, staying in Daniel. Uh, let's see. Go to Daniel 11 with me now. Well, actually, you know, let's go to Daniel 9. That's better. Daniel 9, because it's on the way to 11. There's where you got the seven, the 77s. We've already done this a bunch of times, starting in verse 24. 77s, 69 of them pass. There are seven-year periods. 69 times 7 is 483. When those pass from when this is uh, what the time it's indicating, that's when Jesus showed up on the earth. The last seven is the seven-year tribulation. There's a huge pause in God's calendar. Um, let's see. Skip down to verse 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, that's Jesus, will be cut off and have nothing. Crucifixion. Who's going to crucify him? Watch carefully. I'm still in verse 26. The people of the ruler who will come, that's the Antichrist, his people, whoever he is, his people will destroy the city, that's Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, that's the temple. Who destroyed the city and the sanctuary? The Romans. That's why most people think this is a revived Roman Empire from that verse and 10 nations getting together. Now, are they Sweden, Belgium, France? I don't know. It could even, I've heard people say it's 10 regions where maybe North America is one region, South America. I don't know that we're not told. Um, he, verse 27, I'm in Daniel 9, will confirm a deal, a covenant with the many, is how it reads, that's the Jews, for one seven, seven-year period. 
Okay, that's the deal we said. You can rebuild your temple. You can have your sacrifice again. In the middle, that's three and a half years, folks. He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. He's going to break his deal. No more sacrifice here. Uh, no more worship of your God. And on a wing of the temple, this is why people believe there has to be a rebuilt Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Is there one there now? No. Are they planning to do it and trying to figure out a way to do it? They are. Is it built yet? No. Could they build it in a short amount of time? Probably. Um, okay, so here it comes. On a wing of the temple, because you're going to read all of this in Revelation 13. On a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. This is a term used in the Bible for something that is so unholy, it almost makes you want to vomit. And it's an abomination that causes great harm and, and destruction because of how evil it is. He's going to set that up until the end that is decreed upon him is poured out. That abomination that causes desolation, you're going to see it in Revelation 13, is, and I'm going to show you next in the New Testament, where he steps into that temple he let them build and says, worship me now here. I'm the only one that can, and he's going to mandate it. Remember the vaccine mandate? He's going to mandate that you have to worship him. Okay, now, are we done with Daniel? No, Daniel eleven twenty one. I hope my notes are right. Eleven twenty one. Talking about leaders and leaders and 21, he says he'll be succeeded by a contemptible person, Antichrist, who has not been given the honor of royalty. He's not from a kingly line. He's just going to step into power. He will invade the kingdom when its people feel secure. He'll seize it through intrigue. Some translations have the word flattery there. Um, okay, and then it goes on talking about an army. Okay, now I want to go to... Um, this is all a precursor to, well, should we do that? Daniel 11. Uh, no, stay in Daniel 11, sorry. Uh, yeah, Daniel 11.36. Are you still with me? Say amen. Amen. Okay. Daniel 11.36. The king will do as he pleases. This is the Antichrist. Listen to this and watch how much it sounds like uh, Revelation 13. He will exalt and magnify himself above Every what? Man? No. Although he will. Every God. And will say unheard of things against the God of gods, the real God. He'll be successful until the time of wrath is completed, for what has been determined must take place. This is a weird verse. 37 is the reason some scholars think the Antichrist might be Jewish. Is he? I don't know. He will show no regard for the gods of his fathers. Okay, what's that? Um, in the Bible, the Jews are to show regard for the gods, the God of their fathers, meaning Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now we're Jews centuries later, let's say. We're supposed to remember that God is still God. This man will show no regard for that God from his ancestry, you with me, his people. Some people think it means he could be a, a Jew. This is a really weird verse, I have to tell you. Um, he will show no regard for the God of his, gods of his fathers or for the one desired by women. Literally it reads, or for the desire of women. 
In other words, this is weird, and there's two theories on this, and they're both bizarre. He will show no regard for the desire of women, okay? From that, taking it literally, there are scholars that think that means he will be a homosexual. He will show no regard for the desire of women, okay? Maybe, but what is the desire of women in the whole Old Testament? Rabbis write about this. The desire of every single Jewish woman was not only to bear a son, because no offense, ladies, they wanted sons more than daughters, but to be the one woman in the whole Jewish nation of all time chosen to bear the Messiah. You know who won the lottery? Mary, right? She was the one of all people. Nothing that special about her, but she was highly favored by God. Okay, now read this verse again. He'll show no regard for the desire of women. What's the desire of women in the Old Testament? The Messiah. So in a way, this is saying he'll show no regard for the God that his fathers worshipped or for the, his Messiah. No regard for God the Father, no regard for God the Son but will exalt himself above them all. So I'm not going to sell that too hard, but that's possibly something to uh, look at. Okay, verse 38, instead of them, he will honor a God of fortresses. This is a guy that worships military power. A God unknown to his fathers, he will honor with gold and silver, precious stones, costly gifts. He will attack the mightiest for fortresses with the help of a foreign God and will greatly honor those who acknowledge him. He'll make them rulers over many people and will distribute the land at a price. The king of the south is going to engage him in battle. The king of the north will storm out against him. Some people think the king of the north, by the way, is Russia. Hard to say. Uh, made countries sleep through them. Look at the end of verse 40 invade many countries and sweep through them like a flood. Remember that from earlier tonight? He will also invade the beautiful land. Oh, wait, what is that? Hawaii? What? In the Bible, the beautiful land is Israel. Many countries will fall, but Edom, Moab, and the leaders of Ammon will be delivered from his hand, extending his power, what have you, uh, yeah, okay, the rest of that is more trivia. I wanted you to see those main points. Okay, now, before we go to the New Testament, uh, I got to show you a weird one. And that's the at the end, toward the end of the Old Testament, go to Zechariah, if you know where that is. Find Matthew, and then take a left. And you'll see Malachi, and then one book before Malachi is second last book of the Old Testament. Zechariah, go to Zechariah 11. And hopefully you're still awake. Zechariah 11. Okay, this is a, a strange one. One of the names of the Antichrist is the foolish shepherd. Look at 11, Zechariah 11, verse 15. Then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. That's one of his names. For I'm going to raise up a shepherd over the land, that's Israel, who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feel the health or he'll feed the healthy, sorry, but will eat the meat of choice of the choice sheep tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts, breaks the covenant with the Jews, the flock. Interesting. Remember, 
Revelation 13, we're going to read, may the sword strike his arm and his right eye. We'll come back to that. Is there a wound that the Antichrist gets? Yes. A fatal wound. What's the thing about a fatal wound? It means you die from that kind of a wound. Does he get a wound with a sword that strikes off his arm and his right eye? May his arm be completely withered, his right eye totally blinded. Talking about the foolish shepherd, which is Antichrist. Are you saying you know this for sure, Joe? That's what they tell me, but I'm throwing it out to all of you. Okay, now go to the New Testament. Besides uh, Revelation 13, 2 Thessalonians is the best place to learn about Antichrist, besides uh, where we're going to be in Revelation. But I wanted you to see all these ahead of time. <clears throat> Second Thessalonians, so that's where the, all those books start with a T, and they're together. Timothy, uh, Titus, Second Thessalonians in the New Testament, right after Galatians, Ephesians, uh, all of those. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Mm, okay, and let's pick it up in verse... Uh, Two, he's talking about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in verse one. Do you see that? And our being gathered to him. Don't be easily alarmed or upset by some prophecy. Verse two, supposed to come from us saying that the day of the Lord's already come. Don't let anyone deceive you about the day of the Lord. Day of the Lord's a period, that period of the seven years where the wrath of God comes. It includes the second coming of Christ, includes the rapture. Don't let anyone deceive you. That day will not come until the rebellion comes that's a falling away many that you thought believed it's called an apostasy apostasia when that comes and what's the other thing the man of lawlessness is revealed antichrist do you see that in verse three the man doomed to destruction or perdition tell us about the antichrist this is paul writing verse four he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that's called god or worshiped so that he sets himself up in god's temple proclaiming himself to be god can you imagine don't you remember that when i was with you i used to tell you these things verse six and now you know what's holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time is it the proper time now no how do you know because nobody in here can tell me they know who the Antichrist is. The day will come, though, when we're discussing this, and we'll all go, it's definitely him. He's the world leader. He's evil, etc. Okay. Four, verse seven, the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back, God, Holy Spirit, will continue to do so till he's taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, Antichrist, will be revealed and he has to interject whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the splendor of his coming. Antichrist meets his doom when Jesus shows up. It is not a big drawn-out battle. It's not 15 rounds with the champ. Jesus, more, he, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Satan is no match for Jesus. When Jesus shows up, it's all over. Um, okay, tell us more. Verse 9, are you still with me? The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Why would people believe such an evil guy? Keep reading. Displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, 
and wonders. And let me tell you, people love that stuff. What more proof do we need? We've got miracles, right? There are churches who major on signs and wonders, miracles, to the point that the gospel, Holy Spirit, Jesus, salvation, repentance, obedience, is all kind of secondary. Let's get to the miracles, man. Very dangerous. You're opening yourself up to possibly great deception. Amen? Say amen. amen. Okay. <laughs> amen? amen? Okay. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. The work of Satan. Satan's the power behind these miracles. Now, are they real miracles or fakes? Counterfeit miracles. Are they counterfeit because they're fake? This is something scholars debate. Or are they counterfeit because they're bringing glory to an evil dude? I don't know. Counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Verse, verse 10, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are believers? No. Those who are who? perishing. They're already dying. They're, they're unbelievers. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. Why else would people believe in this dude? Verse 11. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the singular lie. What's the lie? Okay. There's people that say the lie is evolution. There's people that say that the lie is and this is what I think, that Antichrist says, I'm him. I'm God. You want proof? <clears throat> miracle after miracle. The lie is that he is the Christ. He's actually Antichrist. That's what I think anyway. Um, and all, verse 12, so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Now, now that you're all asleep, go back to Revelation 13. Now all of this, I hope, is going to make more sense because you're going to go, oh, that's what he just read. Oh, oh that was from Zechariah. Oh, that was from Daniel. Okay. Back to, that was a long detour, I know. Revelation 13, I apologize. Um, okay. This beast, 10 horns, seven heads, 10 crowns on the horns, 10 nations that end up being seven. He controls them all. There's a lot of blasphemy in verse 1. Okay, verse 2. Remember the kingdoms in Daniel? The beast I saw resembled a leopard. It had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. Do you remember those creatures? They were emblematic of the various kingdoms. The Greek kingdom, the uh, Medo-Persian kingdom, etc. Uh, we did that when we did Daniel about a year ago. Okay, um, let's see. So, uh, yeah, we talked about that. I'm just trying to keep up with my notes here. Okay, um, so what's going on here? The leopard kingdom was Greece. Leopards are extremely fast. Think cheetah, okay? Alexander the Great was the guy that took over the world faster than anybody. Speed, leopard, uh, the Greek empire. Feet like a bear in the Old Testament, we learn that the bear kingdom is Medo-Persia, not as fast as a leopard, but strong, crushing, slow power. That's how Medo-Persia uh, crushed the world. A lion, that's Babylonia or Babylon, ferocious, great authority. The final kingdom is going to be all of those combined, a uh, composite. 
Uh, we already talked about that. By the way, Judas in John 17 is called the son of perdition. There's even a few people, I think they're crazy, that think the Antichrist is Judas come back to life. I don't think so, but throwing it out there. Um, we already talked about that. Okay, so you got the picture. Uh, keep reading in verse 2 of Revelation 13. The dragon gave the beast his power. That's the devil who gives the Antichrist his power and his throne and great authority. His throne. Satan has a throne. He's called the God, small g, of this world, right? Do you remember in Matthew uh, chapter 4, the devil tempts Jesus. Do you remember that? One of the things he says is, hey, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. Jesus does not say, you don't have control of the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't argue because he's the God of this world. The whole world is in the lap of the evil one, the Bible says. But Jesus resists him, won't do that, remember? This guy takes him up on what Jesus refused. The dragon gives the beast his power. In other words, translation, the devil gives the Antichrist his power and his throne and great authority. Okay, here's where it gets weird. Remember the sword, remember the wound, verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, <clears throat> but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished, amazed, and followed after the beast, which is the Antichrist. Okay, what's going on here? Most scholars think this is somebody attacks him and kills him. Kills him, kills him. Not just a flesh wound, like shaving, you know, a little blood here, like, oh no, he's dead. It would have to be so convincing that the world will see it live on Fox News, CNN, and Al Jazeera and go, oh my gosh, somebody assassinated the greatest leader the world has ever known. A death followed by a resurrection. Sound familiar? Anti instead of Christ. Look at it again. One of his heads, one of the heads of the beast, seemed to have a fatal wound. Okay, now the question is, does seemed to have a fatal wound mean that it's fake and he fools everybody? Um, and if it's not a fake wound, does Satan have the power to resurrect the dead? I don't think so. Right? So... Seem to have a fatal wound. Just to review, how bad is a fatal wound? It's bad, right? You die. You know, it's not, remember in the, you'd be watching Westerns and somebody gets shot and they go, it's just a flesh wound. This isn't just a flesh wound. The guy dies. They probably have a funeral. Knowing the Antichrist, imitating Christ, it wouldn't surprise me if it's three days later, right? On the third day. By the way, when he rises from the dead, you know what he's going to say? I did this 2,000 years ago. It's me again. I am Jesus. I am all the leaders you've hoped for. I am the 12th Imam. If you know about Islam, they're expecting the 12th Imam to come. He's going to say, that's me as well. The point is, fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Translation, resurrection. The whole world was astonished. That means they saw the death to me. 
They didn't just hear about it. It's a commonly known thing. They're replaying on YouTube. You can watch it. There's a loop of it on the news. Here it is again when someone, some nut attacked and killed our beloved leader. They won't call him Antichrist, of course, but you and I, if we're alive, are going to know this is the guy and it's not good. Fatal wound healed. That's an astounding miracle. He's going to say, what more, what other proof could you possibly need? Uh, he's got the lying signs and wonders, remember, from Second Thessalonians. So the whole world is astonished. That's all they need to see. He's back. And they followed the beast. What you're going to see in the rest of the chapter is, doesn't mean follow, like I follow him on Twitter and Facebook. It means worship. He's our guy. I'm sold out for the Antichrist. He's definitely proved he's the one. Um, let's see. In the world, you probably have noticed very, 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 very few people actually worship the devil. Would you agree? Very few. I mean, there's some, but there's all kinds of people that worship the devil that don't realize they're worshiping the devil, right? There's people that worship money or that worship drugs or that worship you know, the other gods of other religions that don't realize it. Any idol that's getting worship, Satan's behind it going, bring it on. I love it. I don't care if you call me Buddha or whoever, bring it on. Okay. Fake resurrection. Here it comes. The reason I mentioned worshiping Satan is verse four. Men, that's human beings, not just men, ladies. Men worship the dragon. Because, who's the dragon again? The devil. Because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast, the Antichrist. And they asked, oh, this is such an unbelievable question. Who is like the beast? And who can make war against him? Meaning, seems like the guy is infallible. You can't beat him. He's unbeatable. He is, you know, Superman to the 10th power, right? Okay, why is that an ironic question? Because in the Old Testament, that same question appears, but not with the word beast, with the word God. The Old Testament talks about who is like the Most High? Who can make war against him? Who? In other words, it's a rhetorical question, meaning the answer is nobody. Who's going to go against God and beat him? Satan may be crazy enough to think he's the one that can beat God, and he's sadly mistaken. Amen? So, um, so they worship the dragon. Did we do 2 Thessalonians 9 to 11? I thought we did. Did we? Does anybody know? Are any of you awake? Okay, I heard a few laughs. Okay, that's good. Second, uh, yeah, counterfeit miracles, signs, wonders. Those are people are so convinced by that stuff. Remember the wound of the, the arm and the eye. Now, if somebody cut an eye out, I wouldn't think that's a fatal wound. Unless, this, I don't want to be gross, but unless the sword went right through the whole head or something bizarre, some scholars think the wound has to be with a sword has to be decapitation. Because if you see somebody decapitated, you wouldn't go, is he okay? You'd go, it's fatal, right? Um, okay. Uh, so they're worshiping Satan because they're worshiping him. Uh, verse five, and we're getting close to the end, but we still got some time. Verse five, 
By the way, that question, who is like the beast? If you've been in this Bible study for a while, you know whenever there's a question in the Bible, I think we should answer it. Who is like the beast? No one. There's never been a world leader that took over the whole world possessed by Satan, ever. No one's like him. Who's able to wage war against it or him? Answer. The, the, the proposed answer is nobody. The true full answer is Jesus. And it's not even going to be a battle, right? But it's going to look like he is indestructible. Heck, somebody murdered him on camera and he's back three days later. Can't you imagine the words? Now it gets even more arrogant. Look at verse five. The beast, that's Antichrist, was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. You remember that from Daniel we just read? And to exercise authority for, there's that number again, 42 months. How many years is that? Three and a half. Okay. Can't you hear this guy talking? Remember Muhammad Ali in the 60s and 70s? I am the greatest. He's going to make Muhammad Ali look humble, this guy. He's going to say, who could possibly battle my kingdom? Who can do the miracles I can do? You're about to see him summon fire via his false prophet down to earth. Unbelievable miracles, wisdom. I solved all the world's problems. You all owe me big time, he's going to say. He's going to be charismatic. I think he'll be smart. I think he'll be a military genius. We're going to see he's an economic genius as well. This is Satan putting all his eggs in one human being, so to speak. Utter proud words and blasphemies. You know what he's going to say? I think. Those of you that believe in Jesus, well, where is he? Second coming. It's me. Those of you that believe in so-and-so and so-and-so, all these other religions, I am the guy. I'm the one. And I've proved it. What more proof do you need? And most people will be fooled. You may know people that are unsaved if you're alive at this time and you're not raptured away. If you're still there, you may know people that think he's the greatest and you're going to go, can't you tell he's evil? That's the Holy Spirit inside of you that will, your spirit will go, oh, I can't even listen to him speak. And the other people go, but look, he solved all the problems. He's a great guy. And he rose from the dead. Come on. Um, verse six, the beast opens, it opened its mouth to blaspheme God whew, and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Dwelling place is the word for tabernacle. So he's going to slander God. I had a philosophy teacher, Dr. Herman Shapiro at San Jose State University, um, back when I went to college in the 1930s. Anyway, um, <laughs> And he was an atheist and Jewish guy, PhD in philosophy. And he said, uh, he smoked a pipe. This was in the days when you could smoke indoors and he would light his pipe and take a while and puff on it. And he would say, I'm going to prove to you now there's no God. God, I'll give you 30 seconds to kill me. And then he would look at his watch for 30 seconds and 30 seconds would go by. We would all be like, oh my gosh. And he'd go, well, he had his chance. That chance has passed. And then he would teach all this philosophy stuff. I wanted to drop the class, but I stayed in it. It was hard to go, live through. Okay, uh, but I did. Blaspheming God, slandering his name, God's character. Where's your Jewish God when you need him? Where's your Christian God? I'm here. 
worship me. And he's going to slander God's tabernacle or dwelling place. What's that? Heaven. Okay? Where the angels live, where God lives. And those who live in or dwell in heaven. Who's that? Every believer that's died for the last several thousand years, whether Jewish, Old Testament, or Christian, all the believers, he's going to slander them. All those stupid people believed in Jesus, and they're all dead now because he can't save them. I'm the only one. I can imagine the words and the arrogance he's going to have. Uh, it, it was given, verse 7, what a bad place to end on, but oh well. Verse 7, here's the bad news. It was given, or he was given, power, that's the Antichrist, to wage war against God's holy people. Did you hear that? Is that you? It is. If you're alive on the earth, if you've been raptured out, praise God. If I'm wrong about that, I'll be the happiest person in the world. It won't be us. But who, at least who it is, is those who believe at the time that this is going on. Uh, given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. That's surprising, isn't it? But there's a little asterisk. No, you don't see it in the text, but I'm telling you, based on the whole Bible, he does not conquer them spiritually. He does not ever conquer them in their souls. He does not ever convince one single believer to stop believing who's a true believer, to stop believing and to worship him. Not even one, because we have the Holy Spirit who's greater than him, the one in us. But does this mean some holy people, they're God's holy people, notice, does this mean that they're his enemies? Yes. He declares war on them? Yes. Could he persecute them? Yes. I'm going to show you next week. Could he imprison them? Yes. Could he even kill them? Yes. Okay. Which is the greatest victory for a Christian? Yes, but that's the end of my human life. It's the beginning of your eternal heavenly life, which, trust me, is a trillion times better than the best day at the beach in Hawaii. Right? The best chocolate cake doesn't compare. All right, we're out of time. Most of you are asleep anyway. We're going to pick it up here. I know it's a bad place to leave, but may I say, remember the whole of Scripture. Revelation chapter 20. The Antichrist is judged, and so is Satan. 21 and 22 is your future home. It's a brochure for your future home, and it's awesome. God wins in the end. Satan loses. Christians win in the end. Categorically, I can say that. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time we could spend in your word. What an awesome lesson. It's not scary. I used to think it was. It's not. You're telling us, you're warning us ahead of time. Jesus warned us about this guy ahead of time. Next week, we'll look at Matthew 24 and a few other scriptures where it's mentioned. And Lord, we appreciate the warning. If we're not here and we're raptured, we're going to have a party in heaven. Well, we will anyway, eventually. But if we're here and we happen to be alive at this time, we pray that your spirit would give us strength and great faith and boldness in our testimony about your son, Jesus. Thank you that you've told us the end of the story. And it's all good news. It's like saying 
our team is going to be down 19 to 2 in the ninth inning, but we're going to score 28 runs and win the game. Only because of your son Jesus, though. Not us swinging the bat. It's Jesus. It's God the Father's plan. We thank you, Father. In the meantime, time may be short for us or for our time where we can freely witness. May we do so with boldness and your spirit, God. Thank you for these truths. May they change the way we live. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to somebody you don't know. They're waiting to see if you're going to introduce yourself. Those of you on Zoom, thank you so much for being here. Love you all. God bless you. We'll see you next time.